Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 317. Then it had in his. She closed her eyes for a moment and drew a long, deep breath. She let it out slowly, lifted the stone, and opened her eyes so it was the first thing she would see. Fella stared at the stone, and there was a long moment's silence. The tension in the room built until it was tight as a harp string. The air vibrated with it. A long minute passed. Two long minutes. Three terribly long minutes. Aladdin sighed gustily, breaking the tension. No, 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 he said, snapping his fingers near her face to get her attention. He pressed a hand over her eyes like a blindfold. You're looking at it. Don't look at it. Look at it. He pulled his hand away. Fella lifted the stone and opened her eyes. At that same moment, Elodin gave her a sharp slap on the back of the head with the flat of his hand. She turned to him, her expression outraged, but Elodin merely pointed at the stone she still held in her hand. Look, he said excitedly. Fella's eyes went to the stone and she smiled as if seeing an old friend. She covered it with a hand and brought it close to her mouth. Her lips moved. There was a sudden sharp cracking sound as if a speck of water had been dropped into a pan of hot grease. There followed dozens more, so sharp and quick, they sounded like an old man popping his knuckles or a storm of hailstones hitting a hard slate roof. Fella opened her hand, and a scattering of sand and gravel spilled out. With two fingers, she reached into the jumble of loose stone and pulled out a ring of sheer black stone. It was round as a cup and smooth as polished glass. Elodin laughed in triumph before sweeping Fella into an enthusiastic hug. Fella threw her arms around him wildly in return. They took several quick steps together that were half stagger, half dance. Still grinning, Elodin held out his hand. Fella gave him the ring, and he looked it over carefully before nodding. Fella, he said seriously, I hereby promote you to the rank of Relar. He held up the ring. Your hand. Almost shyly, Fella held out her hand. But Elodin shook his head. Left hand, he said firmly. The right means something else entirely. None of you are anywhere near ready for that. Fella held out her other hand, and Elodin slid the ring of stone easily onto her finger. The rest of the class broke into applause, rushing close to get a look at what she had done. Fella gave a radiant smile and held out her hand for all of us to see. The ring wasn't smooth as I'd first thought. It was covered in a thousand tiny flat facets. They circled each other in a subtle swirling pattern unlike anything I'd ever seen before. That's the page. My name's Nick. I'm Jordana. I have a crackpot theory. He says that the ring has to go on the left hand because the right hand means something entirely different, which this is not my crackpot theory. I believe it is Nick's crackpot theory that the dominant hand in, for most people in Temerant is is the left, not the right. And this, w- this would follow that because uh, you, would, uh, you would put your wedding ring on your non-dominant hand. So in this case, the right, the right hand, generally, right? Right? So that is a theory that's been floated. I don't know how strongly I believe it. In the real world, the left hand is closer to your heart. And that's why you put the ring on it. In some cultures, there's a belief that there's like a line from your left ring finger straight to your heart. And that's why you put it on. I mean, I think that that the heart thing is a, is a, like a a back folk meaning based on the fact that it's more convenient to have the ring on your non-dominant hand. Could be. But the real crackpot theory out of this that I want to prod is we remember the rhyme about Quoth and the rings that he wears 
On the one hand, he has rings of bone, iron, amber, wood, and stone, and there's rings unseen on his second hand. Uh, and so I think that there's some significance to the hand of the rings and the rings themselves in that story, in that rhyme. Mm. What that is, I don't know. It sort of implies that one of them is social and one of them is magical, but I don't know necessarily that that aligns with what Elodin is talking about. It certainly implies that it's a magical reason that you wouldn't be ready to wear these rings? Yeah, I I definitely think that I agree with Jordana and that Elodin is just making a reference to marriage. But, no, no, the left hand is the marriage. In our hand. world, but I think Jordana is is correctly divining from other crackpot theories that everyone in, in Temerant is more left-handed than right-handed, and so you would wear the your marriage ring on your right hand because it's not your dominant hand. The, okay, I... Well, I'm, I'm glad you're buying into a crackpot theory that has little to no evidence, Jeremy. I <laughs> do think that this is a lot for the author to pack into a throwaway line. If it is just a reference to marriage, but it doesn't line up with what we understand as being the marriage hand, that seems like a lot. No, see, I think that's that's just efficient world building because it doesn't actually matter because I didn't think about dominant hands or non-dominant hands i just think when you make a reference to someone wearing a ring on a specific hand that just screams marriage to me because when i read this i didn't know that in our world you wore your red ring on your left hand because i've never been married and you've never seen a married person i mean i'm sure i have but i'm not looking at the ring i have a mind like a goldfish But I know enough to know that ri- the ring does go on some hand and that it's always the same hand. But which hand it was makes no never mind to me. I also think it's worth pointing out that what does Fella do to demonstrate her mastery of the name of stone? She commands a stone to break and it breaks. Okay. It, it, he's making reference to... to Taberlin. Taberlin. That's right. So I had to think about it to leave out the M. <laughs> I wish you hadn't. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's it is resonant that that's what she does, right? That that this connects us back to the mythical figure of of Taberlin, and and how he demonstrates mastery over stone. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the other possible read is that it's like a doing Hello World, but for naming. The first thing you do is you make a ring once you've proven that you know it. Um, oh, you think I mean, she I'd, made the ring? She did make the ring. No, I think Elodin hid the ring in the stone. No. What? Are you kidding me? No. He found a pebble for her and she made the ring. Yeah. No, I think the proof. No, I think he gave he he gave her a stone with a ring inside it, and the proof is that she gets the ring out of the stone. Of course not. She commands it to take shape. No, she commands it to mastery. She commands it to break. How is it proof of your mastery? No, and the fact that it has an incredible pattern on it is proof that it came from magic. It has a very subtle pattern in it. I'm, I'm just hopping off my fence magical. to go stand with Nick on this one. Yeah, Jeremy. Oh my God. I'm flabbergasted that you would think such a thing, Jeremy. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Fine. <laughs> he sees which way the wind is blowing. Yeah, I, I have no desire to get into a 10-minute screaming match about this. If you want to believe that, that's fine. 
I also just, I don't think that Elodin would hide a ring in a rock. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> that doesn't strike you as the kind Especially, of thing that a weirdo would do? That's what I'd be doing if I had magic powers. Yeah, but wouldn't you want your student to prove that they could make a ring out of a rock? To prove that they had mastery over the magic of rocks? Yeah. I mean, now that you say it, that does seem likely to me. I just assumed that her proving mastery was proving that she knew the name, not proving that she could make a ring out of it. Both are true, but I think it's pretty clear that she... I know you didn't want to have a screaming match. Let's let's move on. I think it's pretty clear that that she made the ring. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Okay. Bless you, sweet Jeremy. I also think that it's worth noting that Eladin's unorthodox teaching style does work. You know, like it would not be acceptable for a university professor to slap a student upside the back of the head to get them to do something right uh, in our world. And in our world, that would be unacceptable for many reasons. One of them being that it doesn't actually help, but it does help in this case because that's what gets her to really see the stone. And I think that's maybe the the proof positive for why Elodin is is actually following a method. Maybe the method is the madness, but like I, I do think that Elodin's not just a kook who I think he he's also a kook who doesn't want to work hard, but he works hard when it matters. Like he doesn't want to be bothered most of the time, but it, it seems to me that he assembled this class because he saw there were, there were enough people who were worth teaching because he wasn't teaching any classes before this, right? Or he yeah. was only teaching like weird blow off classes, like, like ladders. Well, and I think that part of the <laughs> ladders, I think that one of the frustrating things, about being a student of Eladin is that I do think that some percentage of the time he is just messing with you and the other percentage of the time he's messing with you, but it, it it's all like leading to something, but you're never going to know which is which. And so I think you, that's part of the learning yeah, too. Well, exactly. Exactly. You have to learn to see when Eladin is just taking the piss and when Eladin is like having you chase seed pods because it's going to teach you something. But that means that you have to be fully committed to doing every crazy thing he tries to get you to do no matter what. And Like jumping off a roof? Like jumping off a roof. I think what is frustrating for Quoth and what would be frustrating for me as well is that I would just like, at a certain point, I'd throw up my hands and think like, well, I don't want to have to deal with trying to figure out when this guy is trying to teach me something and when he's just blowing smoke up my ass, you know? Exactly. And maybe that's part of the method. Maybe the pursuit of naming isn't so straightforward. And maybe if you can't handle a little smoke in your butt, you shouldn't be going after naming. I agreed, a thousand percent. Uh, listeners, um, you should let people put smoke in your butt. I have a question, and they just brought it up in our live chat, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it, because clearly it's not just me who's wondering this. Isn't Fela already a Rolar? Yes, I think so. And I think that, remember, we've learned with Puppet that uh, the ranks mean something. And uh, this is the rank. And I think it's also been mentioned that you achieved Rolar in the past, in the olden times, once you learned a name, possibly because Rolar means speaker or namer or something like that. So Elodin, according to the old ways, is bestowing upon her the rank under the uh, auspices of the old ways. Yeah. Hondo P. Okay. Reasonable. I find this acceptable. We have a letter if we're uh, ready to move on. The only thing that I want to mention is that Rothfuss is really, really good at writing compelling original metaphors. Um, like 
just they're all over this page and I just like marvel at the craft of them and I'm sure that it took him a long time to to find them. Maybe I just think that because I feel like when I write metaphors, I often devolve into ones that I've seen before because they're easy and familiar and they work, but they're not exactly new. For example, the tension in the room built until it was tight as a harp string. Uh, That's really visceral. And it really calls to mind the specific moment of like being in a room where you're all like anticipating something happening. And it also speaks to the narrator's character, which I think is pretty great. Exactly. Exactly. Or like a speck of water dropping into a pan of hot grease. Like that makes me think of a sharp sound, but it's not like a snapping branch or a gunshot or any of the other like kind of cliche, like sharp cracking sounds that I've seen a dozen times before and written a dozen times before. And I just want to, you know, game recognized game, mad respect to Patrick Rothfuss, the metaphor master. I have two more things before we go to the letter. One is on the the sounds that Jeremy was describing, Rothfuss describing, is when we were reading that part of the page, the little clip in my hair popped open, and I was like, what was that? And it was great, because Magic. it was like, the book was really happening. Anyway, that weird tidbit aside, it is the end of a chapter. Hmm. Uh, this chapter was called Without Word or Warning, which is reference to uh, Denna having left without word or warning, and also, I think, uh, Fella not having a warning that she needed to speak a word that is not a word in front of her classmates. Yeah. And yeah, also to I their agree. classmates, not knowing that this was going to happen either. Right. Like they had no idea that fella had actually been like mastering the name of stone or anything like that. So they're also caught off guard. I'd just like to shout out a couple of our listeners in the chat who are providing us with some fun facts. SNC points out that this is the last time that fella appears in the book until chapter 149. And uh, Patrick, not Rothfuss, points out that in Name of the Wind, she was already Rolar. And apparently in the 10th anniversary edition, oh, it was not changed in the 10th anniversary edition. Yeah. So this is uh, not a mistake. This is intentionally Elodin scorning the current ranking system and only putting weight in the old style of ranking. Right. As far as Elodin is concerned, you're not a Rolar until you know a name. Precisely. And now a letter from Manuel, who writes, Greetings. I just finished listening to your reading and discussion of page 289, where Sim talks about being the youngest noble's son who was shipped off to the university. Nick suggests that Sim is possibly there to avoid the politics of succession and expresses a hope or belief that Sim will eventually shake out as the poet king. I agree with the last part, but I also think that sweet, gentle Sim is at least involved in and may even be orchestrating the assassination of the nobles ahead of him in the peerage. My dream is that Kvothe ends up killing Sim, the poet king, over his murder of Ambrose. This problem with all of that is that the mayor is ahead of Sim in the order of succession. There was, is, will be, an attempt on his life, and also that fails. So that could make Alvaron the poet king that that Kvothe kills, leaving Sim to take up the sword as the penitent king. In either case, I am nearly 100% sure that Sim will be implicated in all the political assassinations. That Rothfuss made Ambrose, Alvaron through Quoth, and Sim, all poets, was probably just to sow confusion about the Penitent King's identity. Thank you for all your work. Thank you, Manuel. I do not know, like, as as much as I would like this, I don't see Sim as being an evil mastermind. I do see him as being, like, reluctantly thrust into power. Uh, I see that being a place where his, his character could go uh, honestly. But I don't see him as being, like, a scheming mastermind who's doing assassinations already but i do see him as being someone who's like unwillingly thrust into power and like forced to take up arms against a person who he knows is uh truly good but the rest of the world has decided is a a villain 
Now, Nick, I agree with you. I don't think that Sim is the type, but of course, that would make the reveal all the more shocking, right? Who would have ever thought poor, sweet, innocent Sim was actually a ruthless political murderer who wants to get back at his, shit, at his shitty dad? Now, it's also been pointed out that they're in different kingdoms. Uh, the listeners are also chiming in on this. Sim is a Turin and the mayor is from Vintus. They're in different peerages. I can think of ways that that could be circumvented, uh, especially if if Sim is forced to do a, a political marriage, which could happen. Like, what better way uh, for poor Sim uh, to end up being, like, plucked away from his life at the university and forced into a political marriage because of his uh, his his... Father, although I don't really want to like do all the mental exercises. Nets. Like I do agree that it's a lot of it's a lot of stretching. It's a lot of work that has to happen for this to be true. So maybe we can I just mean, let it lie for now. I don't actually know that it does because if you think about the real world, uh, aristocrats in one country often had lands and titles in more than one country and therefore more than one peerage. For example, Richard the first. Richard the Lionheart was king of England, but he was also like the Duke of Aquitaine and a bunch of other stuff in France, right? He he was also like a part of the French peerage and the English peerage. The, and that was not like seen as, that was not uncommon. And we've been hinted at that, you know, people might owe fealty to themselves. You know, there's there's that line in Later in a Wiseman's Sphere where mm-hmm. uh, Kvothe is like, through all the bizarre marriages and things and, and so on and so forth, you you would require, you may owe fealty to yourself. Uh, I, I think it'd be great if, if Kvothe has to kill Sim or harm Sim in some way. Um, I don't know. I, I would love him to be the Penitent King. I think that's nice and neat. But uh, who's to say? Nick and I are always just looking for the ending that would cause the reader to suffer the most because that is uh, oh <laughs> definitely yeah suffering is 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 good suffering builds character as Calvin's dad teaches us mm-hmm. and, and listeners you can build a snowman of us uh, making you shovel the driveway on tomorrow's page of the way. Way.